We have been in a sermon series over the past four weeks about the Holy Spirit, how the Holy Spirit transforms and loves and heals us. And this week, we are talking about how the Holy Spirit sends us out. Now, when I think about the idea of the Holy Spirit sending us, there was one instance that came to mind. It was probably the first time that I really felt like the Holy Spirit was sending me. It was 12 years ago. I was on my way down to the Dominican Republic for a summer of international missions work. Now, I was really excited about my time down there. I was excited to do missions work, and part of me was wondering if perhaps God was going to call me into a larger ministry or career of international missions work. So I was very excited. I felt like the Holy Spirit was gearing and equipping me to go down there. And after a couple of days down there, I realized that a couple of things kind of went awry. You see, when I got down there, I didn't realize that the primary ministry and work that we would be doing is physically building churches and houses and large structures. And this involved things like hauling cinder blocks around and uh, mixing and pouring concrete. I learned what rebar is that summer in order to build these large buildings. And if you are being honest right now, when you look at me, Do you think I was very good at that work? Honestly, I was terrible. I had a couple of moments where I thought they may actually send me home because I'm just not that great at this. I look back on that summer, I think my saving grace was that I spoke Spanish, so I got to know a lot of people, and I think I was just kind of friendly and nice, and they felt too bad about sending me home, so they just let me hang out for the summer. But when I came home, I had to reevaluate, what did it really mean that God was sending me? I loved my time there, but in many ways I knew that I wasn't being sent into long-term international missions work. And it made me wonder, what does it mean that God can send us, sometimes halfway around the world, into that type of work? But often God can send us through his Holy Spirit right where we are. So that's what we're going to be talking about today, is how the Holy Spirit can send us in three distinct ways. We're going to talk about how the Holy Spirit sends us into the heart of God's promises for us, how the Holy Spirit sends us into the church, the capital C church, body of Christ, and how the Holy Spirit sends us into our community and the world. The Holy Spirit first sends us into the heart of God's promises, and we are going to be spending most of our morning in Acts chapter 2. Now, at this point in the story, Jesus had died and resurrected. He had ascended into heaven. His disciples then were told to wait. Jesus had said that he would send his Holy Spirit, but they didn't know quite how or when this would take place. So they were waiting. And that's where we meet them in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. Please read with me. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout people from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished. The Holy Spirit arrives on the day of Pentecost and fills the, fulfills the promise that Jesus had made to his disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit. Now, it seems like, the, like God sent the Holy Spirit in maybe an unexpected way. I mean, can you imagine in your homes right now, if all of a sudden a huge wind came rushing through and fire started descending from your ceiling, it would be a concerting event, Right? But for the Jewish followers of Jesus who were gathered in that place, they would have witnessed these events and they would have understood what what they were witnessing as a deep fulfillment of God's promises through the scriptures. So you notice at the beginning of the passage, it says that they were all gathered together in one place. This was because they were all gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate a holiday together. They were gathered to celebrate the holiday of Shavuot. Say it with me, Shavuot. This holiday brought all of the Jews together in order to celebrate God giving the Torah to his people, to Moses, on Mount Sinai. Now, it was this event that brought God's people together as a nation. It showed God's God's chosenness, how much God loved them. Now, the early Jewish Jesus followers would have been gathering together and they would have been reading scripture that reminded them of how God had given his Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai. Now, the holiday's Hebrew name is Shavuot, but for those who spoke Greek in that day, the holiday is actually called Pentecoste in Greek. You can hear the word Pentecost. That is what they were celebrating Now, the story of the giving of the Torah, which they would have been entrenched in while this took place, that happens in Exodus 19. And when we look at what happened in Exodus 19 with God's people on Mount Sinai, and when we look at Acts 2 with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, there are so many parallels that I can't even get into them during my sermon this morning. I've included some notes in our sermon notes if you would like to go and read more about those. But there is one parallel in particular that is powerful and that reminds us and would have reminded those first century Jesus followers that God loved them and reminded them of his promises. So this is what happens in Exodus 19, 18. It says, Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So God appears in fire to his people and then he delivers the Torah, gives the Ten Commandments to them. And then in Deuteronomy 5, Moses is looking back on what happened when God gave them this message, and he describes it by saying, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire. To you it was shown that you might know that the Lord is God, and there is none other beside him. Out of heaven he let you hear his voice, that he might discipline you. And on earth he let you see his great fire And you heard his words out of the midst of the fire. Fire is a symbol of God's very presence, his dwelling with his people. 
And through his arrival in the form of fire, both on Mount Sinai and at Pentecost, God is claiming his people as his own. The early Jesus followers who had gathered in Acts 2 would have been reflecting during Shavuot on the very fact that God had shown up through fire and smoke to fulfill his promises to them. And so then as they're gathered, all of a sudden what happens? Fire comes rushing through their house, starts descending on them in tongues of fire. And they see this and they witness it. And for modern readers like us, when we envision this happening, we may think that it seems bizarre or like even kind of scary. But for them, they would have seen this fire descending. They would have remembered the story that they've been reading and they would have said, this is our God. Our God has shown up for us. Jesus is still here with us and he has fulfilled his promise to send his Holy Spirit. This is the hope that the Holy Spirit gives us. When he sends us directly into the heart of God's promises, he reminds us that we belong to God, that God still loves us, and that God is still here for us. Just as the story of the giving of the Torah on Mount Sinai through fire fulfills God's promises of chosenness to the people of Israel, so the coming of fire at Pentecost fulfills Jesus' promise to send the Holy Spirit to his disciples. This is true for us today too. This is a deep reminder that through the Holy Spirit, before God sends us outward, God sends us directly to him. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we belong to God first and foremost. And no matter how lost or how isolated or alone or how broken we are feeling this season, God tells us that we belong first and foremost to him by sending his Holy Spirit. God then sends the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we are sent out to be the church, the capital C church the body of Christ. After the Holy Spirit fills up these early Jesus followers in Acts, we then get an in-depth look into what was happening in the early church. And the first way that the Holy Spirit sends them is into deep community with one another. Now, if reality TV existed in the first century, we are about to get a glimpse into a lot of the activities, the day-to-day activities, and how they spent their time. Please join me in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers— And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What we see when we get this glimpse, this picture into the early church, what we see is a whole lot of time together and in worship. Here are a few of the things that we would witness the church doing in the early, in the first century. 
First, they listened and they learned from the apostles' teaching and they committed themselves to fellowship with one another. This means that they knew they still had growing to do, that they still had learning to do. And so they were listening to those who had followed Jesus directly. They were studying the scriptures together and they knew that they wanted to learn as much as they could so that they could draw closer to one another and so that they could evangelize and spread this good news. Second, they were committed to the breaking of bread. Now, this is an interesting phrase because it means both gathering together in their homes and sharing meals together. Yes, this can be a form of worship when we gather in our homes together, whether it's to watch a worship service together or to share a meal. When we gather around a table, God, God uh, joins us there. In Matthew 18, we read that where two or more are gathered, there I am also. God meets us in those places, but the breaking of bread also means taking communion together. We will be taking communion together later this morning. And what we know is in the sacrament of communion, the Holy Spirit shows up. What we believe is that the Holy Spirit shows up to bless us, to nourish our spirits through the sacrifice of Jesus. Third, they go to the temple together to study scripture and to worship God. Now, I need to admit, they were not in a pandemic in the first century, so they had a little bit more freedom and flexibility to be able to physically go to the temple and listen to live sermons and sing worship songs together. However, if you reflect back on what we have been doing this morning together, even in your homes, we are emulating what the early church would have been doing in the temple. They would have been reading scripture. They would have been singing worship songs and listening to sermons and having their souls fed and refreshed together. And lastly, they prayed with and for one another. They prayed for the church and they prayed for their community. Now, if you are new to faith, these practices that I have just listed, they may seem a little bit intriguing. They could seem a little bit bewildering or somewhere in between. But for those of us who have been following Jesus for a long time, things like studying scripture or going to church or praying together or listening to sermons or taking communion, these things actually maybe don't seem super strange um, or super different. They actually can become very normal and very routine for us. What we need to remember is that the Holy Spirit is the one who catalyzed those in Acts Church, Acts 2 to go into the church and to do this work. And the Holy Spirit is the one sending us into it as well. The Holy Spirit sends us into daily practices that form us as Jesus followers. Here's the problem though. Have you ever been driving uh, home or to work on a pretty uh, normal routine, and you pull in and you wonder, how did I get here? If I had to go back and tell you every single stop sign and every stoplight that I went through, I don't actually know that I could. Because the paths that we travel when we go through them over and over again, our minds can go into autopilot. We can forget what it is exactly that we're doing or why we are doing it. But if the Holy Spirit is the one grounding us and driving us into these practices, we can't help but experience transformation. We can't help but experience new life. And the Holy Spirit is the one that draws us into that. Lastly, the Holy Spirit sends us into our communities and into the world. 
Acts 2, verses 44 through 45 tells us, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and their belongings, and they were distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So the Holy Spirit tuned this group into the needs of their community, and they came together to meet those needs as they were able by holding all things in common. Now, we have an incredibly generous community at CPC. As James mentioned earlier, our Easter offering brought in over $73,000, and we've been able to use that money for our COVID-19 community relief efforts. And this was in the midst of a pandemic that we took in that offering. This is extravagant, extraordinary generosity. The Holy Spirit sent the disciples in Acts 2 to transform their community through extraordinary generosity. We read that they were selling whole plots of land and using that money to transform their community. But it also sent them into ordinary situations of generosity, everyday, everyday, very ordinary sort of generosity with their neighbors and with one another. And this is the kind of generosity that I want to challenge us to think through a little bit more. This is the kind of generosity that does things like uh, meal sharing, like making a double batch of soup and dropping one part of it off to a neighbor or to a friend or getting way too much in a grocery order and taking some of it over to a neighbor or someone who's just going through a hard time. Or even dropping off cupcakes at someone's doorstep and holding a happy birthday sign out front so that they know that they are extra loved on their birthday. I had the privilege of witnessing this type of ordinary generosity amongst some CPCers over the past few weeks. And it was a reminder of how the early church, this Acts 2 church, enabled ordinary generosity that ultimately transformed their community. We had a member who had to move quickly into an unfurnished home, and she needed a little assistance being able to get her family settled in. They were lacking a bed, and when CPC found out, found out about this, a chain of events unfolded not unlike what we read about in Acts 2. So one family learned that they needed a bed, and they just so happened to have purchased a new bed that week. Their old one was still in pretty good shape, and they said, we would love to be able to donate this, but we don't have a truck to transport it. So then another one of our members found out that they needed a truck and said, okay, I'll be over in the morning with my truck and with another of our members, and we will transport this bed up. Well, then another member found out that they didn't have linens or pillows for the bed. And so she packed up this big bag with linens and pillows and everything they would need for that bed and got it to the guys who were taking the truck. And within 24 hours, I saw our community come together to get this family a bed. I received photos the following morning of this family, just so delighted because now every single person had a place to sleep in this home. Our community was able to enact some extraordinary generosity through ordinary ways of showing up, of hearing people's needs, and of being able to meet them right in that moment. I know that we are limited in this season. I know that it is harder for us to show up for one another in the ways that we are used to and in the ways that we prefer. But we can still demonstrate extraordinary generosity 
and ordinary generosity in our neighborhoods and communities if we allow the Holy Spirit to be the one that tunes us in to the needs around, around us and then to be the driving force in our lives to send us out into our communities and into the world. The Holy Spirit sends us into unlikely circumstances and down unknown roads. But through the Holy Spirit, we are sent first into the heart of God's promises for us, reminding us that we are first and foremost God's beloved. And then we are sent to be the church, to worship God and to spread the good news of Jesus Christ in this world. And finally, the Holy Spirit sends us outward, outward into our communities and into the world to show extravagant generosity and to, in many ordinary ways, to show up for the people around us, extend love and care to those in need.